It's Friday the 27th of May. This is the Climate Alarm Clock. This week's headlines. Ireland still falling behind on climate action, according to the EU Commission. And around the world, courts, employees and protesters turn up the heat on oil companies. Also coming up on this week's show, we learn about hemp in our Book of Leaves collaboration. And Anna continues her culture feature with Kaylee Crossan. Hello and welcome to the Climate Alarm Clock, your weekly Irish climate news podcast. I'm Dara Wynn. We've reached our 10th episode of this season and thank you so much to everyone who has been tuning in all this time. You can help us to get the word out to more people by telling a friend about us or sharing your favourite clip on social media. You can tag us on Facebook and Instagram at Climate Alarm Clock and on Twitter at The Climate Alarm. We have our usual mix of features coming up this week, but as always, we start with our news roundup. And I am delighted to be joined, after me having a week off, by Kira Daly and Anna Pringle. Um, Anna, how are you keeping? I'm good, Dara. Welcome back from jet setting around the place. Thank you very much. How are you, Kira? Good, good. I'm absolutely delighted at all the the lovely cheap tat you've brought home from uh, Lanzarote. So uh, thank you so much for that, Dara. <laughs> oh, it's great to be back. Great to be back with all the uh, lovely, lovely affection and respect, guys. Thank you so much. I uh, know. Before we ruined Dara's reputation, though, Dara, you did do slow travel, didn't you, to to London? And you enjoyed it, from what I heard. So I was in I was in London for a few days, and I did the I did the rail and I did the sailing rail. Uh, so I got the ferry oh, and the good. train, and it was great. A lovely, lovely experience. And I even ended up sitting next to an insulate britain protester on the train back up to hollyhead who had been in court in london uh on the grounds of public nuisance for blocking a road uh, so wow very great. interesting yeah yeah so yeah. you meet all sorts of people on the train absolutely absolutely yeah yeah um so we'll get stuck into our news roundup and anna our first story well i don't know if it's news at all is that ireland is falling behind on our climate targets according to the eu commission So this EU report covers a lot of different things and there are some good aspects in it, obviously, but it does call out structural challenges facing Ireland, such as, no surprise, healthcare, housing, then also weaknesses related to our green goals. And we're losing ground on water, we're losing ground on ecosystems. And one particular statistic jumps out where... The European Commission points out that when it comes to greenhouse gas emissions per capita... Ireland is 80% above the EU average in 2020. Wow. First of all, can I say I ha- always get a good laugh out of you two being like, this is not news. <laughs> this is news to me. Okay. <laughs> um, I would have always, I mean, I know I'm learning now that we're not as good as we think, but I wouldn't have thought we were so bad. So in terms with the, uh, we're 80% above the EU average Per capita. Can you explain a little bit more about that? I don't understand what that means. Per capita. Like, what does that mean? These aren't the correct figures, but to give an example, if the EU average is 10 tonnes of emissions per per person, mm-hmm. in Ireland it's 18. So we're well, nearly, far, we're nearly, we're off, nearly double the national average. So I think I think it's actually something like around eight tons is the eu average and the irish one is 13 so i don't know if that's the exact figures but it's something around that so our emissions per capita are way way higher than the rest of europe and then europe in turn the average emissions per capita are much higher than the global average than the rest of the world so we are 
the highest of the highest emitters. You know, bar countries in the Middle East and the US and Canada were, were pretty much up up at the top. Yeah. So when you hear people saying, one of the excuses you often hear in Ireland is, we're a small country, we can't do very much. Maybe not, but we can get to at least be, you know, better than average. Yeah. Um, is there anything else there, Anna, that stood out at you? Yeah, there were other, I mean, there's, you know, so challenges in climate action and then related things like waste prevention, circular economy, wastewater treatment. They're all uh, what the commission describes as entrenched challenges. Um, so, you know, a lot of work to do. Um, what does also, that term mean, entrenched challenges? It means it's say. it's kind of a structural and it's deeply, it's deeply embedded and hard to deal with. Um, so it's got to be a lot of work for us to actually undo that. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So we exactly. need to completely, completely overhaul our systems. We can't fix yeah. these problems with just tweaks here and there. Yeah. And, and then the other thing, which I think that this number was high and kind of surprised me a bit because we don't hear this very often, is that like in 2020, oil and gas covered almost 80% of Ireland's energy consumption. Oh. And we hear a lot about how well we're doing with renewables, but we yeah. have to remember that's just for electricity. And and it's very variable. So, um, so again, eighty yeah, percent. So, that's mm, high. So eighty percent. That includes transport emissions. Is that right, Anna? So that's that's. It does. Our yeah, that's all, that's our yeah. overall energy usage. Yeah. Um, so we're not we're not you know we're not top of the list here on any of our um, statistics when it comes to the European Union. And kind of related to that, then Anna. Um, there's a story in the bit. There was a story in the Business Post this week about our 2030 carbon targets. Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting that the European Commission talks about our new increased renewable electricity target of 80 percent by 2030, but they point out that the the really the amount of work to be done that it really hinges on, in their words, planned measures and goals being implemented in good time. Then Daniel Murray in the Business Post reports on our 2030 carbon targets. So if you remember, the Climate Action Plan requires us to have a carbon budget and to set targets for each major sector in the economy. And they gave they started off in the Climate Action Plan by having a range for different sectors. But now we've left it so late to act that actually we're going to have to, each sector is going to have to hit the very top of the range mm-hmm. to have any hope of hitting our Climate Action Plan commitments. Yeah, yeah. So to so this is actually, this is the Climate Action Bill, wasn't it? So it's in law that we have to reduce our, our emissions by 51% by 2030. So for example, tw- in agriculture, there is a range between 22 and 30%. Yeah. And in uh, transport, there was a, range of 42 to 50 percent cut in emissions and now actually what they're realizing is that there's no leeway at all so every single sector will have to hit the upper level of their targets if we're going to meet this legally binding 51 percent goal um and there was a very funny i found it a very funny sentence um in the in the article was that the fact that sectoral ceilings will all have to be at or beyond the top end of proposed ranges will raise questions as to why ranges were published in the first place. <laughs> so, yeah. uh, <laughs> so we should have just been given the targets and told and told departments to hit them. So the first carbon, the first carbon budget cycle is from twenty twenty one to twenty twenty five inclusive. It's five years. We're already halfway through 2022 and we have not, we've, we've missed 
So basically, we've missed the first two years. We're not going to hit the targets for the first two years. Yeah, um, emissions shot back up in 2021 after COVID, and they've kind of leveled out this year rather than than going down. So yeah, there's going to be a lot of work to be done, I think, to get us anywhere near those targets. And uh, presumably, when that work actually starts taking place, it's going to be a lot more extreme of a change to what exactly it would be if it was now. Exactly, as the 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 phrase that Daniel Murray uses is that it's going to mean enormous structural changes for the Irish economy. But they have to happen. It's just that we've left it so long yeah. that it makes it harder for them to happen. Can I ask? You guys said there uh, we are legally obliged. That's not the right phrase, yeah. but no, it's legally binding. Binded. Okay, so if we don't achieve those targets, what is the consequence of that? And I don't mean in terms of environmentally climate like what are the legal consequences for Ireland the, I mean it's written into the law of the country and the government is required to deliver on the targets in it however if they don't meet the targets really all it means is that they can be taken to court over it um, and the court will tell them they have to meet the targets so although it's legally binding it's a bit like the Paris Agreement it really requires action from the government and the repercussions for not doing it are not I mean nobody's going to go to jail over it for example yeah and we're not going to get fined or anything but I no, mean because it's ourselves we get fined yeah. by the we get fined by the EU for not meeting the EU targets okay um, we've been fined for not meeting our 2020 climate targets for the EU for example but in our own law we won't get fined no but okay. it's 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 a way it's kind of creating a moral and legal obligation for the state to deliver on these targets. Uh, speaking of people not doing well, we're going to be talking about the oil companies again. Kira, have you been chatting to Bernard anymore? Bernard uh, Lilly from from BP. So if this is your first time listening to the Climate Alarm Clock, Kira has struck up a little pen pal relationship with the CEO of BP via Instagram. The lovely, <laughs> the, the, the lovely Bernard Looney from Kenmare County Kerry. I have heard back from him, but look, <gasps> there's still no reply about... I got a whole big spiel about how he's all in. Um, it's a phrase I keep seeing companies use with the quotation marks saying all in to really emphasise it. But I think it's actually more like finger quotes, like we're not actually all in. They're just showing they're down with the young people, Kira. <laughs> yeah. So I got another response anyway, but it's it's still nothing. He still has not actually said anything in reference to the carbon bomb so we'll see how it plays out i'd say he is my biggest fan right now i sent him the article that showed um all the places in ireland that would be underwater by 2050 and said check out i wonder is ken mayor going to be affected by this or your <laughs> local areas so i don't think he liked that i love it yeah and so on oil companies we're seeing a lot of pressure being put on it's not just Kira on Instagram there's uh, things happening at a load of different levels so Anna ExxonMobil are, are, are going to be up in court yeah this is great um, I've put this in the good news category um, in the Massachusetts High Court this week ruled that ExxonMobil which is the US's largest oil company and maybe the largest in the world or certainly in the top three and they have to face a trial over accusations that they lied about the climate crisis and covered up the fossil fuel industry's role in environmental devastation, which we know they did because I've seen documents from the well. 1970s um, where they, they knew exactly what was going on. Um, so they were trying to stop the case being brought to court, but the Massachusetts court said, nope, you need to come to court 
and answer these this lawsuit. So who is bringing them to court, can I ask? It's Yeah, so it's the Massachusetts Attorney General, Maura Healy, and the lawsuit accuses Exxon of breaking the state's consumer protection laws because of their decades-long cover-up of what it knew about the impact on the climate of burning fossil fuels. And it also says the company deceived investors about the risks to its business wow. posed by posed by climate change. Yeah. And, that, so, and so this is good news. And the more states in the US that do this, the more pressure is on. So there's also a lawsuit from the state of Rhode Island against 21 fossil fuel companies. And that's been allowed to go ahead in state court as well. And that includes BP. Um, and the, obviously the fossil fuel companies have huge resources and they're trying to stop these cases. But, but the more legal pressure is on them, the better. How are they able to stop these le- like what is the process there that they're able to stop that or try oh, and stop it or they just throw i mean they'll go over they'll, they throw attorneys and resources at it and they go over every letter of the law like they tried to stop the massachusetts case by saying it was politically motivated and they used um a particular legislation and tried to say it was in breach of that they have so many resources that they can like you know, compared to the resources that a district attorney would have, they yeah. have massive resources. And probably an obvious question, but if the ruling goes in the favour of the Massachusetts state and all of these people bringing the the fossil fuel um, companies to trial, if it goes their way, what like how are these businesses going to be held accountable? What is going to be the consequence for them? I don't know the answer to that. It's oftentimes it's fines or they're restricted from certain business activities or whatever. So I don't know. Presumably there's a bit of a kind of like adding credibility to the to the cause for the people who oh, are completely. calling yeah. these people out. Completely. I mean, one of the things that's important about the fossil fuel companies is they, they are losing what they, sometimes you hear people say they're losing their social contract, they're losing their social license to operate. So every company needs, you know, the more the more people that feel that they shouldn't be operating the better. Um, so in the States now, you've got similar rulings in Colorado, Maryland, California, Rhode Island, Massachusetts, New York. So there's like a lot of pressure there. And then this week, we've seen some people pressure being exerted as well, starting with Kira writing to Bernard. But um, there was a few interesting AGMs this week too, Dara. Yeah, absolutely. So at the Shell AGM, um, 70 protesters got in and started singing their own version of We Will Rock You that was We Will Stop You um, and completely delayed the delayed the proceedings at the Shell AGM and then the I said Total you told me it's Total uh, the Total <laughs> Energies AGM was almost cancelled in Paris because there were protesters in the street not letting the delegates get in eventually the AGM did go ahead but with far fewer delegates in there than they had hoped to have. And I think you're completely right, Anna, with what you said there about the the social contract. For a while, I think people felt they would be hypocritical if they're saying, well, how can I tell the oil companies not to be doing this stuff when I'm still using oil to heat my house and burning petrol? Whereas now, I think we're really aware that their business plans pay no attention to climate change, to climate targets. They just don't care at all. And they're making massive profits in this time of global struggle and rising energy prices. So I think what you said there about the social contract, people are really just realizing it's not acceptable. It's not acceptable that oil companies are making this profit while 
ordinary people are struggling and destroying the knowingly destroying the planet in the in the process and knowingly uh, reneging on these global climate deals so i think it's great to see it happening in the courts it's great to see protesters kind of being vindicated and getting coverage and actually um helping to change that narrative and then the last place we're seeing pressure is from within where a shell employee is uh putting it up to her former uh employer shall we say i loved this story yeah, so Caroline Dennett, Climate Hero of the Week, I think, um, on Monday morning, she released a video. Now, she wasn't a Shell employee. She was a, a safety consultant for Shell, I think. She worked for Shell, but they were a client rather than an actual employer. But she was a, a, it doesn't matter because she worked with them for years. And she put up a great video and said, I'm quitting because of Shell's double talk on climate. Um they said, you know, she was working with them on safety and she said their ambition is to do no harm and they are completely failing on it and causing extreme harm. <laughs> Go, Caroline. Yeah, so let's have a little listen to some of that clip. Sure. But today I'm quitting because of Shell's double talk on climate. Shell's stated safety ambition is to do no harm. It's called Goal Zero and it sounds honourable, but they are completely failing on it. They know that continued oil and gas extraction causes extreme harms to our climate, to our environment and to people. And whatever they say, Shell is simply not winding down on fossil fuels. They're expanding with new exploration and extraction projects against the clear warnings from scientists and dismissing the huge risks from climate change. And I just can't be a part of this anymore. I know I'm privileged to be able to make this choice and many people working in fossil fuel companies just aren't so lucky. But the fossil fuel industry, it's the past. And if you can find a way out, then please walk away while there's still time. Do it now. I love it. Yeah, she's brilliant. But the fact that it got picked up, that will just be deeply embarrassing to Shell. And I think she timed it very well to be the same week as their AGM too um so you're good for her yeah that's brilliant it's kind of felt like after we read that article um or after that guardian investigation about the carbon bombs i've been going through this weird thing where i'm like one minute i'm like this is insane is this real life and then i'm like sure what do i not what do i care but like sure what can i do about it i'm just in galway and it's going through that like I'm almost gaslighting myself into being like, you can't do anything about it. And then just seeing that, I was like, good on her. And I just had that moment of like where I wasn't thinking any of that. I just thought, oh, my God, that is so inspiring. And it gave me a little bit of hope. And I was like, OK, get back on to Bernard Lully. <laughs> <laughs> and also she sent it to, I think, something like 1100 Shell employees. Wow. Yeah. Um, who would have got that in their inbox. So it has to create some cognitive dissonance, you would hope, as they're yeah. sitting there and at their work desk getting that. And her last message about if you can find a way out, please walk away while there's yeah. still time. I thought that was great. Yeah. And then meanwhile, related to that, our other climate hero, um, Antonio Guterres, who's the Secretary of the General of the UN, he gave a speech in at a graduation in the US at Seton Hall University and so he's saying, part, never mind, don't walk away. He's saying, don't go and work for them. Don't yeah. work for the climate records. That's the words he used, climate records. And he asked students to use their talents to drive us towards a renewable future. So strong message there again from Antonio. Yeah, definitely. 
yeah yeah so yeah and i suppose any of these things need to be sort of tapered with the fact that none of this has caused oil companies to change their plans (laughs) you know they're still plowing on but it's great it's great to see these sort of initial initial steps to kind of raise awareness and hopefully foil them but it's not it's not a case that it's all under control and that these people are going to sort it it's it's as Kira said that these people are an inspiration and uh hopefully we'll find ways that we can get involved and help help as you say change that social acceptability i think (laughs) i would say it normalizes getting hysterical about something that warrants being hysterical that's a great way of putting it kira so before we finish up our not climate story this week um and we're going to be talking about love island is that right So Love Island have taken a big action, I think anyway, I found it really joyous. Um, Over the last few years, they have faced a lot of backlash because they are a very big promoter of fast fashion, which we obviously know is bad. So for the newest season that is coming out, they have paired up with um, eBay and they're going to be kitting out all of their contestants in pre-loved clothing. So I'm sure you guys will be tuning in now, won't you? I thought that they didn't wear clothes in Love Island, though. Is that not the point? (laughs) They do sometimes. So, look, this is a really good story because the Love Island show, they will have three million viewers tune in to every episode, which is an insane kind of audience and influence. But, um, yeah, so in terms of the influence that it has, just to give you guys some facts and figures, because I know you guys are big into the science. (laughs) (laughs) So... The, some of the previous brands they would have worked with, one includes I Saw It First. So they had a 67% increase in sales and a 254% increase in Instagram followers in 2019 because of support from the show. One of the contestants, Molly May Haig, who I'm sure you guys are very familiar with, <laughs> she once wore one of their dresses and it sold out in 10 minutes. And last year, another contestant, uh, Millie Court, who actually went on to win the show, but I don't need to tell you guys that. She was the most influential when it came to style and online searches for marble dress, which she wore, um, rose by 127%. So it is a massive influence what people are seeing on that show on how people are shopping. So the hopes are through this partnership, they'll become a more eco-friendly production and encourage their viewers to actually think differently about how they shop. Um, So one of the things I think is really important about this is regardless of whether people tuning in to watch this show are ready to make a change they're kind of being forced to think about it and they're being influenced to think about it um and i think that's only a positive change it is very good although i have no idea what you're just talking about (laughs) (laughs) anna you're just messing i know you were a big love island fan yeah it's what it's one of those things that for me it feels a little bit like an oil company saying they're going to net zero you know can is it possible to have a sustainable love island is it is it the kind of show that just promotes rampant consumerism and if people are just rampantly consuming secondhand clothes is that any better it is obviously a bit better so where i see the positive light in this is it's a business at least I don't, I'm not commending Love Island. I'm not commending eBay. Obviously, what you're trying to do is have a shift towards less consumption and stop promoting like purchase, purchase, purchase. But in terms of what that's going to open up younger audiences to, 
that that is a positive. Yeah, it, I, I don't yeah. think that's the yeah, step that they're trying yeah, to achieve. No, I, but agree. I agree. Yeah, I I totally agree. Um, you guys take so much hope away from me in the last ten weeks. All right, let me have this. <laughs> you can now watch Love and Guilt Free. <laughs> no, I couldn't be bothered. There's so many other problems with it. <laughs> I'm a Real Housewives fan through and through. <laughs> you gotta pick your loyalties. <laughs> This you guys won't get this, but for anyone who does watch Love Island, I'm putting all my eggs in the Real Housewives basket. Okay, <laughs> blank faces. <laughs> Thanks for that, Kira. Great, great. Well, uh, I'm putting all my eggs in the time to end this segment of the podcast basket. <laughs> <laughs> we um, need some catchphrases on this. <laughs> Uh, thank you Kira and thank you Anna that's it for the news roundup this week thanks for joining me thank you Dara thanks Dara that's what you're pausing for is and uh, <laughs> still to come on this week's episode we continue our Book of Leaves collaboration and Anna and Kaylee Crossan talk about the parable of the sower in our culture feature coming up next is the Irish Enviro event guide <laughs> 